0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel, the director of the Send Institute, and we're excited to have with us today show, Baraka. Show is a globally recognized recording artist, culture curator, activist, and writer. His work combines his artistic platform with his academic history to contribute a unique perspective, elevating the contemporary conversation on faith, art, and culture. Show is also the co founder of Fourth District and the Ann Campaign, and he served as adjunct professor at Wake Forest School of Divinity. His recent book is entitled. He saw that it was good, reimagining your creative life to repair a broken world, which we're really excited to jump into today. But before we hear from Show Baraka, I want to remind you about the Amplify Outreach Conference coming October 19th and 20th. Amplify Outreach is designed for pastors and Christians passionate about entering the real issues of our day and helping people discover authentic faith in Christ. So be sure to learn more about the conference at AmplifyOutreach.com. Now let's go to our host, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and also somebody who just discovered today- Stop, stop don't do that this. Show Baraka and Dahati Lewis are brothers. They're brothers. brothers. And I'd like, look right here, right it.
2: here. What do you see right here? What do you see right here on my phone, right? It says Shobaraka. Shobaraka. So literally, like I did not know you did that. This is like this is like.
0: I mean, I thought maybe brothers in Christ. So there's that. <laughs> but like Zoolander think? says, black people are are, are brothers. As black people use it.
2: but yeah, well, there you go. Fair, fair. Okay, okay. So uh, we are excited to have this conversation with you, show. So and we were talking before we came on that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe ten years ago, we um, before you were famous. I knew you before <laughs> you were famous. Before there was a little gray in that beard. And uh, there was no gray in mine, um, thanks to some product, but that's another story for another day. But um, super excited to hear, and you've got a you've got a new book. It's your debut book, right? And of course, some of you uh, are familiar with uh, shows music, but now stepping into a new place, uh, the book is called He Saw That It Was Good. And if people haven't picked it up yet, we want to encourage them to, but tell us about it. The premise, the inspiration, what brought you to write it?
0: Yeah, I mean, the premise is basically my, uh, I guess you'd say, theological approach to faith, work, and creativity. Um, that's the, I guess, is the elevator pitch. But the impetus for it is is I have my whole life I've struggled with calling and what it meant to do what I felt like, one, God was uh, designing or pushing me towards and where there was need. And oftentimes I felt because the influential people in my life worked in uh, vocational Christian spaces that I needed to do that in order to make real impact. And uh, a lot of the theology around being excellent in the marketplace or being uh, faithful, you know, having a Christian fidelity, but also being excellent in culture creating, it was anemic, that theology was anemic. And so when I started to um, mature in my faith and stumble across more theology or work and people who were exercising their faith in spaces that weren't just in the church or and vocational Christian spaces, I wanted to take this theology and take these concepts and give it to people who I knew were like me, artists, creatives, and even people who worked in the in the marketplace but didn't feel like they had a robust theology to catalyze them to great work and to be, um, you know, missionaries in the marketplace, if you will.
1: Hmm. You show, you write in the book that you didn't grow up in church. Uh, I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit about your background, your family, uh, your history, and then talk about how coming into faith really uh, changed your outlook on creativity.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in a house where we worshipped football because my father played professional football. I was actually born in Canada. He started his football career in Canada, uh, playing in Calgary. Then he got picked up by the New Orleans Saints, so we moved to New Orleans. So I lived in New Orleans and then moved back to California. I'll save you some of the salacious details of my life Uh, as a young man doing young man things. Uh, Then my older brother, Dahadi, who- That's his brother. Dahadi Lewis is his brother. We share the same same middle name, Um, but I go by it as if it's my last name. But yes, my name is Amisho Baraka Lewis, but uh, his name is Dahadi Baraka Lewis. So anyway, he became a Christian when I was in high school while he was at college. And he he being one of the people who had a great influence in my life, would share the gospel with me around the same time my father became a Christian. And so um, I am just wrestling with what does it mean to love hip hop music? What does it love to love film? I went to school to study film. What, is it, what does it mean to love the culture that God has given us to uh, in order to, you know, flourish society, while at the same time love him, and so, I became a Christian. But I just was like, well, I need to just lose all these affections and affinities I have, and just become a campus minister uh, at campus outreach or crusade or something. And uh, when I realized that you had to raise support, I was like, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs>
2: actually, actually, as a former applicant to be a campus outreach uh, campus minister, thirty years ago, that support raising was a little much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, It was it was rough. I actually went on a uh, much love to a mentor at the time, Byron Johnson. Great guy. He took me on a support raising trip with him and uh, I saw the grueling work. Uh, I was like, it takes more faith in in, to to raise support. It doesn't believe in Jesus. I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. So (laughs) but uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I, you know, through counsel of people, they, they encouraged me to to follow after the path of being a creative I fell in love with folks like Phyllis Wheatley and C.S. Lewis and Chesterton and different folks who were great creatives, but also had a strong faith. And around that same time, I was roommates with individuals like Tadashi and Lecrae, and uh, at the University of North Texas, and we decided to start a record label, um, or in a movement. At the time, we weren't trying to start a movement, but it was just a, a group of individuals who loved the Lord and were obnoxious about it and call it one one six click and so that uh was birthed through my brother's bible study college ministry a lot of people don't know that so the Hadi's college ministry which was known as plumb line kind of cultivated myself lecrae tadashi and other christian hip-hop artists because we also had a connection to the cross movement so in 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 all of this in this cauldron of you know faithfulness while also like artistic talent artistic talent I, I started to to see a way for which my talents and my gifting could be used. And so my pursuit of those things became more clear and more um, passionate, I guess you can say. And so that's kind of like the, the trajectory of how I came to know the Lord to where I am now, if you will.
2: Yeah, and I, I, I love your emphasis in, through the book and, and just what I've known of you for years is the power of stories. Um, and now you're writing here. And, you know, I mean, most of us know you as a hip hop artist, um, you mentioned some other hip art- artists. I hope that Lecrae guy takes off; he could probably make something of himself. Yeah, um, he, he may be able to do something. Maybe give it time. And um, but <laughs> but you know, uh, why do you believe it's important to understand the stories? Of course, you know. I again, I want to m- mention songs that you've written that are so story driven, but um, yeah. our stories and where we come from, because that's a key part of the book.
0: Yeah. I, well, me, I, I just believe that stories in in itself are an aspect of identity formation. I feel like, you know, there are things that you've been told as a child or we are told as, ch- as children that stick with us. And it, and, it, and in some ways, it, it, it gets, it's watered and it bursts in us this audacity to do something and to become a, a particular thing. Um, my mother told me that uh, I looked good in red. To this day, I think red is one of my favorite colors. My father told me and my brother that we were good athletes. Um, My brother was better than I, but up until about college, I thought I was good enough to play in the NFL. Sadly, I was never that talented, but my father's affirmation made me feel that way. And when I think about theology, when I think about the things that we do within culture, good and bad, the, the stories we tell, the things that we say about one another stick to people. And that forms a belief about not only who what you think about yourself, but it also creates this canvas, this picture of what you think God is or who, who you think him to be and you carry that with you. And so for me, the way we talk about work, the way we talk about identity, the way we talk about creativity, I think creates an indelible impact in the listener and informs how they're going to go about their outward testimony of what they believe God to be through their work, through their life, through their actions and so on. Another small thing is that I didn't want to just talk about stories, but in the book, I have some short stories that um, some short fiction stories that I um, that I created because I wanted people to see just like, you know, oftentimes I get frustrated when I go to Christian creative conferences and there's just a bunch of pastors talking about creativity, but nobody's actually demonstrating creativity. And so I wanted to show like, hey, man, this is these are ways in which we can be creative and tell stories, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You know, Sean, I what you're saying is that uh, what I hear you saying is that so much of our creativity is shaped by by narrative, you know, and personal narrative and and, and history even. And uh, I'm I'm my this my heritage is I'm Hmong. My parents immigrated here in '79, and I grew up in inner city Detroit. Um, and so most of my upbringing was in predominantly African American. Uh, communities. And so, you know, I, in high school, I read Maya Angelou, James Baldwin, Alex Haley, Langston Hughes. These were my Uh prophets. And and, uh, for me, that was just history, you know, and then later I found out that that was black history, but actually it was American history, right? Um, Help us think about that, especially church leaders uh, for, especially those who in this past uh, year, they just learned about some, some historic events in the United States that involved yeah. Uh African Americans like the Tulsa Massacre for a lot of people that was a, a new thing. Juneteenth right. was a yeah. new thing. Help us think through about why history is important specifically for church leaders as they shape and mold their congregation.
0: Well, I think it's multi-layered and faceted. I to your point, um I think history, um, as Carter G. Woodson talks about it, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna butcher it, but you know, the, the father of Black History Month he said that history is not just a collection of facts, it's for us to create a reasonable implication of the facts that we are gathering. So what has history told us about ourselves? And so therefore, if we hope for true reconciliation and repair in this nation, then we have to deal with the, the truth of our history, right? And until we do that, um, we're gonna continue to have disharmony, disintegration within the family of God. One way that I see that is I spent (laughs) enough time in seminary just to be dangerous enough to say crazy stuff, right? But in my short period of time there, I realized when we talk about church history, when we talk about the the contribution of great luminaries in the past, we never mention people outside of like old dead white men. And when we talk about it, we can even go even further than that. When we talk about American history or Christian history outside of this country, you would never think that Africa or Asia had any great, contribution to church history. When there were a majority of the great theologians of our day, church fathers were from North Africa. And uh, the fact that we got to say North Africa in itself is somewhat of a, I think an interesting paradigm. But um, not only that, that there were thriving churches sub-Saharan Africa, that there were uh, thriving churches in Africa and Asia, even after Constantine's uh, rise. But we never talk about church history in the east like what we do is we talk about the disciples we talk about the apostles we talk about the roman church and then we move north hmm. but we never move east or south yeah and so how much of a blessing would it be if churches uniformly just talked about the blessing of asia and africa and the influence that they had in 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 western european and european theologians but all only that i think there's another component to understanding this dynamic Tethering of justice in Christian faith. Like when you look at the American Christian, and if you want to see a great tethering of what it means to have a physical faith and a, and a mental spiritual faith, you look no further than the African American Christian tradition, where there were people who struggled with liberation, not only in a mental sense, in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. And yet, and still, they still had faith to believe that God was not only gonna liberate them in some sort of uh, uh, spiritual way, but he was, he was good enough to give them physical liberation as well. And so when we look through the, trish, the Christian, the black Christian tradition, I think you see a very balanced perspective of what it means to, to love God, not only with your heart, but with your body and with your mind and with your actions as well. And to separate, to, to ignore that, to ignore that Christian, rich Christian tradition, tradition I feel like we have, we're losing out as a church family. Um, we need to, to hear the Luthers. We need to hear the, the, the Wesleys. But we also need to listen to the Tubmans. We also need to hear the Lemuel Haynes. We need to hear the, the Jarena Lees. These are people who had very credible voices and I think would benefit evangelicalism on a wide scope
1: well show and i think a part of this is i think this is where you can help our listeners who they're primarily church leaders and they lead churches and and christian organizations but i think a big part of that is the paradigm for ministry that you're talking about is artistry and uh and creativity so uh which is different for many people because their their paradigm for ministry is speaking and organizational leadership like ed and i we play the guitar we're we play musical instruments, but I don't How think do you of know myself. I play guitar. I've never because told I, you. I play well, guitar. No, no, okay. Yeah, I might lead worship a couple
2: of days. Yeah, yeah I it was like the worst uh-huh. worship leader ever. So uh, good.
1: But see, so, you I know. know, like we don't consider ourselves artists. No,
2: I'm yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. Maybe you do, but I don't. And, and so our paradigm for ministry isn't artistry. Right. It is. It is. You know. It is didactic teaching and yes. leadership. And I, I have a daughter who's at the University of Toronto studying vocal performance, doing a master's degree. And I, I envy people like her mm-hmm. and people like Sho, but that's mm-hmm. not my world. In in some ways, we have so much pressure to speak with accuracy
1: and and a polishness, but like art doesn't work that way. So help pastors, yeah. church leaders think through like how do they work better with artists in their organizations uh, so that they can not stifle them,
2: so that they could actually be yeah. released to do more. Yeah, because our audience is pastors and church leaders. And so that 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 would help yeah. us. So how talk to talk to them. <clears throat> from a perspective of an artist who's speaking for artists that they want to engage and help flourish.
0: Yeah. I think there's a couple of things. I'm going to start with the, uh, start with the simple and then I'm going to get real revolutionary and almost probably, Ridiculous. So, the are stomach, you going to use words school. that I'm going to have to bleep out? Because I may have to. So just okay. keep the keep the delay on. Yes, yeah, the, the five second delay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the the simple the the first the easiest thing is to you can learn from artists in um, how you communicate. Uh, I think uh, I encourage a lot of my friends who are preachers and communicators to read fiction uh, because fiction helps them play with the description of words and and set. Uh, ambiance and meal you and all those great things. It's like, how do you tell a story without just saying, I walked down the street? You know what I mean? Like, tell me what the street was like. What did you feel? Um, because ultimately what you're doing as pastors and church leaders, you're, you're preaching to the heart and you want to pull the emotion out of people. So you, you, you want to you disarm them in a way. And art does a wonderful job of disarming people and getting people comfortable so that they can receive some sort of truth. And so you can learn from artists just by engaging more art and work, and not just listening or reading. But I'm talking about engaging it and trying to figure out how do I play with this in some way. The other thing I would say is um, finding ways to 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 partner with creatives in the church space. Uh, I found that I find that there's this interesting. Uh, the, the, if I was on another podcast, the words I usually say is. Uh, I'll just say it. This prostitution, if you will, uh, there's this prostitution of positions. Oftentimes, yeah. pastors are prostituting artists, and artists try to prostitute the church uh, for their own benefits, yeah. right? So you have church leaders who want the great artists and great talent to come to be at their church so that they can bring more people. But that's all they really want them for. They don't, you know, there's not real autonomy or or, or, or liberty to do things outside of just being a a. a a, a, a marketing ploy, but then there are artists who use the church just for their own benefit. They have no intentions in serving, they have no intentions in really being committed to the local church and actually giving of their talents or receiving uh, blessings from people in the congregation. And I think there has to be some real open communication on how do we exist with extremely talented people who may get bored in our church. Um, or, and I, what I mean is not just the Sunday service, but I mean in the context of what we do as a as a as a body that serves our community and city. The last thing, which is a lot more revolutionary, but which is really not that revolutionary at all, because the early church did it, is how do we patronize mm-hmm. artists, support them, um, and be somewhat of a you know a support agent? As my friend Byron Johnson took me around to raise support, mm-hmm. so that he didn't have to. Uh, take on a vocation or another vocation or to be effective on a college ministry. well, a lot of artists, especially in the time of covid how, is it possible do you have the type of and I'm, this is large churches, obviously and you know churches who have the kind of financial capacity to be able to take on an artist 's residency and say, "Hey, we just want to support you with this amount of a year, go and be great, go and make some great art, influence the culture uh, I think that would be revolutionary in some ways, and you 'll find. That I think that um, there would be great synergy, if you will, with churches and and, and artists. Um, but I do think that's it takes a lot of honestly. It takes a lot of, uh, I guess you can say, honest, honest conversation, honest expectation. It's just real talk and real dialogue. But those are the, the three things that just came to mind. No, I love those three things because um, I want to. You know, I, 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 you know, I think Daniel put it so
2: clearly. I this is not. My world, though I'm blessed by this world, I I'm blessed by your art. I'm blessed by the art of others, um, but I don't want to, you know, just use it in a transactional way. I want to. My daughter's taught mm-hmm. me so much about things I don't even notice uh, about music and more. So I want to learn more, but I also recognize, you quote C.S. Lewis, that art story helps us to steal past watchful dragons who yep. otherwise there's a whole world of people who don't think like me. They think far more like you, um, mm-hmm. and cultural creatives, very you know, famous book on the subject. And so, I. I but I don't want a, this to be a transactional thing. I want art, you know, at, at Moody Church, where I serve as interim, we we had you know artists connected and artists who were part of what we're doing. We actually sponsored art shows, but that's unusual. That's an urban church with a long history of things like that. Mm-hmm. What are some yeah. things you've seen church leaders, that's our audience, church leaders and pastors do, maybe an example or two where you've seen them helpful support um support i mean you talk about doing it what are some examples you've seen
0: well i there's been times when my brother and um my brother who is a pastor who my brother and i your brother is six, is somebody i know Daha, Daha, Daha. Uh, he's just this guy who works for nam and he's him. not that important i've heard of him um well, I, that's right but, I, I don't think <laughs> <at all. laughs> he's uh my brother daddy he's a great dude he has partnered with me in many ways and other artists. And giving um, artists platforms, I, honestly, and I'll say this, and I don't think this is a stretch. And I and, and you, I think Lecrae would say this as well. I don't think there's a Lecrae, a Tadashi, a show unless my brother gives us the platforms that he gave us. He gave he he that we had a church. He carved out a space so that we can create a music studio in that church. He let us put concerts and shows on whenever we wanted to. He let us create short films for the, the students. Um, so even me as a filmmaker, I used to do a weekly, I guess you could say drama series for college students that they love. So he was giving me the opportunity to develop uh, my film and uh, television passion. There were uh, times where he helped fund projects. Uh, yeah, so there were, and so I've seen churches do similar things like that. And I, uh, I think it's I think it's easy it's it's easy. Yeah, I don't think it's that difficult. And I think people have the imagination. Now you have churches who actually want their church worship teams to to make albums, right? Yeah. But there are more than just musicians. What about the the painters? What about the dancers? What about the writers? Like how are you giving platform um an opportunity for those folks and how are the artists themselves also committing to the church because i don't want to make it seem like the church just has to the church leaders just have to get money and platform it's like in some ways the artist has to be faithful to the local body and the local community but i've seen it in in those ways i'm sure i'm I'm missing out some great examples but off the top that's how i've been blessed i know Um, well
1: i think a part of that also
0: is uh the
1: artists tend to be prophetic i mean they tend to Absolutely. Speak back to the church and uh, remind church and church leaders, you know, what, what they're not being faithful to. And I, I don't want to put this on you show, but uh, a lot of your friends that you mentioned, uh, you know, Lecrae, uh, Adam Thomason, who's a friend of mine as well. They've been very prophetic against uh, you know, evangelical subcultures. And so, and I'm not asking yeah. for you to speak, uh, you know, for them or on their behalf, but from your perspective, as you're thinking about just the culture of evangelicalism today, uh, and even based on some of the songs that you know you've written, uh, help us to 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 think better and how to 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 really see ourselves as evangelicals.
0: Yeah. So there's so much. There, this is. There's, there's so much to that answer. There's there's different positions. There are people who are I don't know decolonizing, deconstructing, or removing themselves altogether from evangelicalism there are those people who are putting their foot down in evangelicalism then i feel like i am a i am a third person i am the type of person who recognizes that evangelicalism is not owned by i guess you can say our white brothers and sisters there's a wonderful book doctrine and race by i can't remember uh, mary sweetum i think her name is but it just talks about the history of uh black evangelicalism and fundamentalism and um The one thing that I've learned and in my study and research is that evangelicalism goes back, you know, within the black church to pretty much the reconstruction. You can trace it that far. And so when we're talking about church history, once again, what I'm hearing, what I see is that there is a faithfulness of people who, and of course, the black church has its problem, or black churches, I hate to say the black church like there's one, but black churches have their problems, white churches have their problems, but what you can see is that there, throughout the history of the black, black churches, there has been a fidelity to scripture. There has also been a, a faithfulness to justice and issues that plague the people that usually attend those types of churches, and so what happens is, is when we look at the last four or five years and people say well this is evangelicalism to me that's 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 lazy it's dishonest and um, it's also you know i think it's unfair not only just to black evangelicalism but i think it's unfair to white evangelicalism and christian faith in general where there's been a history of people who have been of multi multiple races multi ethnic backgrounds who have fought on the side of justice whether we talk about catholicism to uh, Orthodox to Evangelical, Protestant, whatever. And so I guess the, what I'm trying to say is, I am at a position where I think there, there is a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of social work that needs to be done around the stigmas and why white evangelical evangelicals seem to have this um, this marriage to white nationalism that I think is quite dangerous. And nasty, and but um, also, there has to be a sense of hospitality from those black brothers, brown brothers, Asian brothers who are uh, and sisters who are out there who know that reconciliation is not a luxury, that's not something that we have an option to pass over. Um, And so, if I had more time, basically. I would try to expound on it, but basically, what I'm trying to say is, I look at reconciliation. We must tell the truth, but at the same time, we can't be a bunch of Jonas where we are frustrated by God's calling us to preach reconciliation, redemption to a people who we felt have offended us. And then once we see that they are that they are desiring to be family, we welcome them in, and we uh, we we act as such. Because the, and then we talk about the Garden of Eden, trying to get back to this idea of this this kind of utopia. But the reality is, is we exist more in a, a garden of Gethsemane where there's tension, there's difficulty, there's betrayal, but yet and still Jesus decides to go to the cross. And so are we in this garden deciding to go to the cross for the benefit of our brothers and sisters and love despite the differences that we have? And it's hard, it's difficult. And that doesn't mean we're silent on issues. That doesn't mean you take everything, but that means that no matter what, I call out the ridiculousness while at the same time having uh, an extended hand of reconciliation.
2: Call out the ridiculousness. The book you mentioned is Doctrine of Race, African-American Evangelicals and Fundamentalism Between the Wars. Uh, It's actually got a lot of attention recently and an important conversation that's there. Okay, so call out the ridiculousness. So as a pastor who gets up and talks through a text and who leads a complex organization, who is not an artist? And I, I mean, I, I actually tried to sketch something once, and it was that was as close as <gasps> I got. And I, I did, you know, I preached at Saddleback. I play guitar. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I broke out my guitar. Oh, it, it, was, it was, it was just for a little <laughs> illustration. It's all I did. It was terrible. They literally probably edited it out. But here's here's my point. <laughs> pastors and church leaders is mostly our audience. Think of themselves as the one who bring the word to the church, with the prophetic word, the corrective word, the directive word. And I've heard a lot of pastors say, you know, worship leaders just 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 sing. You don't, we don't need you to talk. And then artists, or I mean, we can go across all kinds of things. I mean, there is a long tradition in uh, in evangelicalism and in broader culture to say, we don't need to hear from anyone like an artist who can speak prophetically and us. But part of that in your book and in your writing and in your performing is you have been that. I mean, this is how I got to know you. You have been a prophetic voice in the midst of all these things. So in your book, again, I mentioned the Doctrine of Race book, but in your book, he saw that it was good, reimagining your creative life to repair a broken world. You do deal with the brokenness. You deal with yeah. the necessity of repair and more. Why is that an imperative for you and for artists to speak up, speak out, and to work towards that repair? And to just make it obvious that there is brokenness needs to be addressed.
0: I think as Daniel said, he talked about artists being prophetic. And I yeah. think the one thing is is that there's, there's, um, there's a sense of... <laughs> Like we have a some artists, we don't have the the weight that pastors have institutional weight, shall we say, of having to to, to be concerned with like watching every single word do we say. Um, and I think there's a there's a bit of of not only just liberty in that, but I think there's a there's a bit of of a breath of fresh air like even with comedians people will say that they're the last truth tellers um and it goes back to this idea that i think it is very important that we allow artists to be artists and to tell the truth about society because artists and creatives actually move culture a lot of people think politicians do it and 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 thinkers but when you get the artist to believe in something and to communicate something, then the culture moves in that direction. And the more we ostracize and we push creatives to the margins, um, the church will find itself continuing to fight culture wars that are that are dated and you're left behind. Nobody's having that argument anymore because you you your artists are now being swept by every wind of doctrine because you didn't allow them to have a voice or a space in your particular church. And so now they're getting platforms and spaces where um, there, you know, there's doctrines of demons, if you will. And so for me, it's not just even about artists. The reason why I think this book is important for people outside of the um, the artist realm is because we all are creating in some form or fashion. We look at Genesis; the mandate is to great to go, and cultivate, multiply, right? Uh, to I mean, to to subdue the world. And so. You're an engineer, you're creating something. You're, you're a teacher, you're, cu- you're cultivating and you're creating students. You're, um, you're, you're this, you're a scientist. And so in what you're doing, how are you bringing flourishing and shalom to the world? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we feel like work is agnostic. It's not agnostic. Every <laughs> belief, every swing of the hammer is informed by somebody's belief. You may not know what that is, but guess what? You're swinging it because somebody is paying you to swing it. And if you don't have a belief behind your swing, then I think that is probably one of the most dangerous things to do. As an artist, when I write a song, I know why I'm writing. I know there's an end, what the end goal is. And I would hope as educators, as thinkers, as engineers, as scientists, they're processing through, why am I doing this? Is it for the glory of God? Is it going to bring peace? Is it going to bring shalom to the world? And if that's the case, then then then. I think we have a better society. Uh, I and i it up with it. I have this analogy that I often use about Marvel. I love Marvel movies. It's one of the few things that me and my family can all watch. Teenagers, you know, and uh, Tony Stark is uh, you know a very important character in the Marvel world. He's also Iron Man. Iron Man flies around the world saving people. And uh, but Iron Man has to save people because Tony Stark is the one who creates the problem. The same person, right? And it's so interesting. If Tony Stark just worked better, he wouldn't have to put on a suit and go save people around the world. And in the same way, the Christian paradigm often acts like this. We contribute to great detriment in our society, but then we want to get on planes and save the world. Well, if we just had a better theology of work, if we just worked better, we wouldn't need to get on planes. We wouldn't need to get on cape, put on capes and and be great missionaries if we didn't contribute to the imperialism, the the, the colonialization, the 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 capitalist greed that we promote within our societies. Um, Live better, work better, think better. And then a lot of the detriment and uh, 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 brokenness that we see would probably fix itself.
1: Love that thought. A better theology of work and practice. And hey, you you embody that uh, well as an artist, activist, uh, and now writer. Hey, You've been listening you. to show, Baraka. Uh, his debut book is called He Saw That It Was Good, Reimagining Your Creative Life to Repair a Broken World. Hey, thanks for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com. And if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a comment. Uh, or uh, review uh, on iTunes, and that'll help other ministry leaders find us more easily. And also, I want to remind you again that uh, Amplify Outreach uh, Conference is coming soon, so make sure you go to amplifyoutreach.com to learn more. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.